Imagine with me for a moment a church. This is not a church in the singular, on its own and distinct, but a church in the plural, united across a nation, joined in purpose, focused on building up God's kingdom one life at a time. It is a church that has at the heart of its DNA the grand narrative of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, and that celebrates in the freedom and grace that such a story brings. This church is not constricted by the walls of a building, but actively engaged in the community it is planted in, desiring for God's kingdom to take root and bear fruit in local soil. A church that sees salvation as holistic, transforming God's people for God's work and equipping a generation to represent God's heart to the poor, the weak, the oppressed and the persecuted. Imagine this church committed to seeing the family as integral to all that it's called to be and do, involving intentional, committed, and authentic relationships across all levels. It is the sort of place where both the young and the old feel cared for, supported, and equipped. A church where people of all backgrounds and traditions come to feel at home, a cultural mosaic that honors and embraces a richness in diversity that marks us as the body of Christ. It is a church that is willing to innovate and express faith creatively, reflecting the boundless limits of God's creativity as glory to Him. A place where people gather hungry for the presence of God and passionate to see this invade all aspects of their lives, where they seek to develop an intelligent spiritual faith rooted in God's word and driven with prayer. A church that does not make its Sunday services the exclamation mark of its existence, but instead the comma in its ongoing sentence. A time of service, love and engagement that inspires and emboldens all equally for the conversation that lies ahead. A church that cares, disciples, rebuilds, renews. This is our city. This is our church. This is our home. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service. And also welcome to everybody online. It is good to have you join us. My name is Carla. I am one of the pastors here. I'm so pleased that you're watching online or you're here in person, obviously back from holidays. Okay, who's been away and has just got back from holiday? Raise your hands up, up high. There we go. If you're online watching as well and you've just arrived back, let us know in the chat. It's good to have you back. Isn't it great how we can travel once again? We feel free. Yeah, so much freedom just by being able to go to the I went to the airport the other day just so I could go to the airport. Uh, honestly, it's the first time I've actually been to the airport 
in over three years. Okay, I was picking somebody out, but I hadn't been. And it was like, wow, this is what the airport looks like. It was amazing. Anyway, I'm so pleased that you are joining us today. Is anybody visiting here for the first time? Anyone joining us the first time that they've been in the service? We'd love to welcome you. Why don't you give us a wave? Ah, that's a little wave. Hello, welcome. And in the upper house, it's good to have you joining us. Welcome. And if you're watching online and this is the first time that you have joined us, a very warm welcome to you as well. We would love to hear from you. So do connect with us, contact us so that we can contact you. There's lots happening here at The Vine, whether there's community groups, there's lots of different activities throughout the week. And so to find out more about what's happening, let us contact you. Or you can go to our vinechurch.life. Vinechurch.life is a great way of finding out everything that is happening here at the Life of the Vine, not just on a Sunday. Community groups are also the ways that we really do grow in our faith together in small communities, which here at the Vine, we strongly encourage everyone to be part of. So if you want to find out more information, then contact us, or you can also chat with us after the service. Hang around, chat with any of the pastoral team, and also outside as well. We have a team there who'd love to connect with you. Well, as you know, we are in the month of January. This is the second week of January 2023. And as always, here at The Vine, we encourage us as a congregation to really join together in a time of setting aside prayer and fasting throughout the month of January. We're in a 20-day fast because Chinese New Year is coming up as well. 20-day fast that we are. And if you haven't joined us in that, then it's never too late. And we encourage you to do that. And lots of ways that you can fast. We have resources, again, on our website. And you can also ask any of us um, here on staff. And we can encourage you in that space as well. One of the things that we are really focusing on is prayer. And as you walked in the building, you may have seen a big wall. And that wall there has lots of little cards hanging on it. That is our prayer wall. And so through the next couple of weeks, we want to encourage everyone to really come together in this time of praying. So we're inviting you to write a prayer. As you came in this morning, you may have received a card from one of the hosts. And if you're watching online, then I really encourage you as well that you can get ready to either send us your prayer or write it in the chat. And if you write your prayer request on here, then you're able to hang it on the prayer wall as you leave after the service. And also you get to pick up, don't pick up your one, pick up another prayer request from the wall. And what that is doing is showing that we are a church that carries the burdens of each other's. We are a church that prays for each other. And so this is a very practical way that actually we can live out, you know, what we are encouraged to do. So very simply, write your prayer. We'll create space in our worship today during the service. So if you're watching online, anytime you want to send us a message or chat, type in the chat, and we will also make sure that that prayer 
gets put on the prayer wall. And then as you're leaving, hang your prayer up and remember to take a prayer. And if you don't have any prayer requests, woohoo, you, that's fine. But you can also take a prayer and then commit to pray for whatever is that prayer request. So be sensitive in your writing. Don't divulge any sort of confidential information that might upset somebody. <laughs> but we encourage you to really engage in this time as a church community. We are also holding our prayer and worship evening, which will be this coming Tuesday at 5.30, 5.30 through to 8.30, which means you can come at any time during that period to join us for prayer, for worship. We will pray with you. We will do corporate prayer, lots of different things happening in those three hours. So it doesn't matter if you want to come after you finish work and you're a little bit later, that is absolutely fine. Anytime, we'd love to see you there and join us as we, again, are very intentional about ensuring that we are a church that doesn't just talk about it, actually prays. So would you join me now and stand if you're here in person, if you're watching online, posture yourself to get ready to worship together. And you know, part of our worship is also in our tithes and in our offerings. And you will see many different ways that you can continue to give. We are so thankful for the generosity of everyone here who commits faithfully and regularly in their tithing and their giving. And if you are here and this is your your church, this is your local family church, really encourage you to commit in your regular tithing and offering. So as we get ready to worship, I encourage you to really be present here now, just to put aside all the distractions of the week. You have chosen to come here. I'm assuming you were not dragged. <laughs> You're not here by mistake. And as we come here today, and as you are watching online, then let's enter this time with an anticipation that we are actually meeting our God, that Jesus is here in our midst, that we're inviting the Holy Spirit to do a work amongst us, and He moves here, He moves with us. So Father, as we right now just open up our hearts and our minds just to put this time aside to truly worship you. You never hold anything back from us. So would you help us to be fully engaged, fully present, fully ready to participate in worship as we invite your spirit to move amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.
praying. We want to be a church that prays, a church that prays together, a church that prays for one another. And so right now we are going to spend some time focusing on a specific theme which is around broken relationships. And I know that for many of us, we have some form of broken relationship in our lives. This is an opportunity for us to bring our prayers before God, to be reminded that even in the most difficult situation, there is always hope. And we're also mindful of those relationships that are broken and maybe are unsafe and toxic and not good, and we acknowledge that. Safety is always a priority and will always be a priority for us here at the church. But for us also, we know that there are relationships that maybe it's been too easy for us to think they're impossible to be resolved, mended, hope once again. We want to bring those relationships towards God. So maybe if there's somebody that you think of, or maybe you're involved in a difficult situation yourself. We're going to ask you to be brave, to open up your hands if you would like prayer. We want to pray for you today. And for those around you, if you see somebody with their hand open, they are telling you that they need prayer because there is a broken relationship in their life in some form or another. And we would ask you our community of believers to respond, to pray with them. And if you're watching online, this is for you too. Maybe if you're with a family, this is a time that you could pray together as a family or maybe send us a message in the chat. Let's be a church that prays together. At the same time, if you would like to write a prayer, then you can write your prayer as well. And this is space for you to do that as well. So let's look around, see who has their hands open. Let's respond in prayer or let us write our prayers as we focus on broken relationships.
Father, I know that it's a beautiful thing in your sight to see us praying with each other, to have the faith to write our prayers boldly, knowing that you hear our prayers. And so, Father, we do lift up our broken relationships, whether it is marriages, whether it is within families, whether it is in workplace. God, you are the ultimate reconciler. You reconciled us back to you through Jesus on the cross. And your spirit is at work mending broken-hearted world. And so, Father, we thank you for working in the midst of us today. We give you our broken relationships. We recognize it's complicated, it's messy. But you are more than able to hold it all. And I just get this picture of raveled up messy wool. And it just looks like it can never be untangled. But our God is in the business of untangling. And so I pray, Father, that we would trust you with the messiness. And that step by step, we would take hold of a piece of that wall, untangling it slowly, trusting you to guide us in that process, knowing that at the end, it will be a beautiful piece of wall, not messy, not tangled. So Jesus, would you accept our prayers? as we continue to worship and continue to pray and continue to offer you our praise through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. you 
just place our hearts before you. So grateful that we can do this, that we can be a community of love, a community of justice, a community that looks out for and looks after one another. Father, your desire is to fill us up, not so we would just feel great in you. We're grateful that you want to fill us so that we are empowered by you. But Lord, you want to fill us so that we're ready to serve in the way that you want us to serve. So that we're able to live the life that you called us to live. So that we're able to bless the city of Hong Kong in the way that you want your church to bless its city. So that we might be able to speak out for those that are trapped in injustice. That we might be able to stand on behalf of the vulnerable and the broken. For those that don't have equal human rights in our city. Father, you fill us, not so that we would just feel good in this moment of worship, but you fill us so our lives become worship. So that what we do with our hands and our feet and our mouths from Monday to Saturday is as if not more important than what we do in this room in this moment. So Father, we do say fill us up. We do say bring your spirit. But Lord, we do so on behalf of those that are not in this room behalf of those that are in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our situations and circumstances. Father, you fill us to send us. And so as we open your word this morning, Lord, we ask that you would keep the sending spirit with us. That as we look at your word, we would be challenged to know how it is that we take the next step, taking your gospel beyond a great church service, but moving it towards what is on your heart. We thank you, Lord. by somebody here at the church. You know, sometimes the Spirit moves in a way that enables us to groan, to cry out, to pray. And so Father, we thank you that you're moving in that way amongst us. Father, we want more of your cry upon us. More of the way in which we groan and express the heart of your Spirit, Lord, in your house and in your city. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you'd continue to do that. You'd move us to express the groans of your heart. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen, amen, awesome. Hey, uh, as you sit down, say hi to somebody standing around you, sitting near you. Say, hey, wow, nice to meet you. You're awesome. So good to have you here with us. Oh, man. I'm so excited. I'm so glad you're here. My name's Andrew. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at The Vine. If you haven't been here for a while or if this is your first time with us, we're so glad uh, you are here. Uh, we're completely full today. So uh, if there's a spare seat, you can put your hand up. I know that some people are trying to find a seat still. We're pretty packed. It's great to have you here. If you're online as well, welcome. 
Uh, we have new people visiting online from all over the world every single week uh, that we gather. So if you're tuning in from somewhere around the world, uh, it's grateful to have you with us. Uh, if you're tuning in from Hong Kong, it's grateful as well to have you here too. Um, Last week, we started a brand new series here at The Vine. Who was here last week? Let me see if you were here last week. Let me see your hands. Okay, a lot of you obviously weren't. Okay, that's a problem. Uh, Last week, we started a brand new series called Will You See, where I I wanted to help us start 2023 with the right perspective, uh, with the right way of seeing what I think God is doing in this critical time of history. And one of the things that we said last week is that in critical moments of history, God always does a new thing for his people, a new thing in the world. In fact, you can trace through biblical history the number of times where God steps in and does a new thing in a critical moment of history. And I was saying last week that we're in Hong Kong right now in what I think is Hong Kong's most critical moment of his history trying to recover from all that the last three years is, trying to find its feet again, work out what its identity is in the world today, how it is in relation with China, all of that unfolding amongst us. This is a critical moment for the city in which we live, and God is doing a new thing. And we said last week that that new thing is a Greek word. It's the word kainos. And kainos in Greek means new in terms of never before existed, not new from something old, as in it's kind of been restored and remade, but completely brand new, never before existed. That's the kind of new that God does in critical moments of history. And and we went to Isaiah's chapters 40 to 66. And in fact, this whole series over the next six weeks, we're going to be sitting in chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah. But last week, we looked at Isaiah 43, verses 16 to 21. And in there, God declares that he is doing a new thing over a critical time of Israel's history. When they were in exile for 70 years, away from Jerusalem, feeling all the pressures of living in exile, in isolation, having a theological crisis, wondering if they're ever going to be released to get back to Jerusalem. And God shows up and says, behold and see, I'm doing a new thing. He says, now it springs up. And then he challenges God's people. He says, do you see it? Can you perceive it? Are you able to see the new thing that I'm doing. And we said last week that if God is truly doing a new thing in Hong Kong in 2023, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Are we, the people of God, his church in Hong Kong, are we going to be able to see it and perceive it? And we spoke last week of two things that stop us from seeing the new thing that God does. The first thing is that we think that we must create the new thing ourselves. One of the things that stops us allowing God to do the new thing or us seeing God do the new thing is thinking that we have to be the new thing, that we have to do the new thing, that we have to be the ones that create that new thing in the world. And so we put stress and pressure on ourselves to try to think, okay, I'm in the new year. What resolutions, what goals, what all the things do I need to do so I can be new in the new year? And God shows up to Israel in a critical moment of the history and said, it's not about necessarily you being new. I'm doing a new thing. Your role is to perceive it. If you're trying to do the new, you will actually miss out on the very new thing that I'm doing. Are you with me? That's the first thing. The second thing we said last week was that one of the main reasons why we fail to see the new thing is because we bring old expectations into the new thing God has. This is a a natural human tendency for all of us to have expectations that help us to interpret the present and the future. 
And our past experiences, all the good, bad, and ugly of our past, shapes our expectations. You have a good year, you're going to have positive expectations. You have a tough year, often you have negative expectations stepping into the new year. And God says one of the reasons why we fail to see his new thing is because we're actually expecting God to move in the ways that we define it based on our past based on how we've experienced God, whether good or bad in the past, that creates a box that we put God inside and expect that God is going to act like that this year. And God's like, it's a kainos new thing, completely brand new. And if it's completely brand new, your expectations and the box that you've created to put me in is not going to actually adequately show you what that new thing is. And so last week we said we need to break our boxes as we step into 2023 in order to be able to see the new that God is doing. That was last week in three minutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, uh, <laughs> if you came last week, you're like, I could have just come this week and got the three minute version. That's so much better. No, no. If you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it if you can. But as we start week two, here's how we start. We ask ourselves, where do we start? Like if God is doing the new and he's calling us to perceive it, then our starting point is where do we start in order to position ourselves best to see the new thing he's doing? In other words, what's the posture of my heart that needs to be in the right place at the beginning of the year so that I'm best positioned to see this new thing that he is doing? That's the key question. And it's interesting because when God comes to Isaiah and Isaiah speaks over Israel in this moment of their exile in Babylon and says, I'm doing a new thing, immediately Israel goes, we need to get ready. We need to be prepared. And, and you'll see in, in chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah, much of Israel trying to prepare themselves for this new thing. And there's one thing that Israel always did at the very beginning of a new thing that God is doing. One thing. Do you know what that one thing is? They fasted. They always started with a fast. And that makes sense. Because fasting for Israel was about preparing themselves for the fresh new thing that God was going to do. So they set aside stuff in their lives. They fasted something, put it aside in a sacrifice in order to best be prepared to receive the new thing. So when God says, I'm going to do a new thing in Isaiah 43, immediately Israel responds by fasting. But there's an issue. There's always an issue, isn't there? And there's an issue. Because the way in which Israel was fasting needed to be changed. Because God was doing a kainos new thing. And the fast that Israel needed to do to prepare themselves also needed to be new. And as we start week two, I want to just say this over you from the very beginning. That I honestly believe if you're going to see the new thing that God is doing in Hong Kong and in your life this year... It's going to start with a new perspective. It's going to start with you having a new posture of your heart. And I want to ask you to open your heart to that today. We've got a lot of scripture we're going to be looking at. We're going to be unpacking a couple of difficult concepts today. I need your brain engaged. Can you do that in church? I know you come to church normally and switch off your brain. Not today. Brain on and ready. Because I think God wants to change 
how you approach him in order that you might see the new. Now, this idea of fasting was so critical in Israel. And I want to show you, I've got my trusty whiteboard here, and you always know things are going to go down heavy with the whiteboard, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, as we start. I want to help define the historical way in which Israel fasted. And when they fasted, they did three specific things, and those three specific things had three reasons to them. And I want to show you that here real fast. So the first thing is they did not eat or drink for a certain period of time, okay? They did not eat or drink for a certain amount of time. They sacrificed their normal food that they would put in their bodies for a certain amount of time. Now, here's why they did that. They did it because they wanted to be sustained, keyword, sustained by God. By fasting, food or drink, they were saying, okay, I want to be sustained by God. I want God to be my sustenance and my support. I'm going to put away the stuff that I would normally feed my body with, and I'm going to ask God to feed me by his spirit, right? By his sustenance. It was a way of them saying, God, I want you and you only. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing they did. This one, I don't recommend to you. They got naked. Well, it's <laughs> me being a bit facetious. Actually, they put on a sackcloth and they took off their shoes. Okay? When they fasted. They put on a sackcloth. Now, what is that? A sackcloth was like an undergarment. Okay? They would take off their normal clothes. They would put on an undergarment. They would remove their shoes. Why were they doing this? This was a symbolic way for them to say, we're in mourning. You might know from Scripture, when they put sackcloths on and put ashes on their head, it was always a symbol, wasn't it, of mourning. It was a symbol of giving their lives to a mourning or a grieving period. So what they're trying to do by turning themselves naked, by putting on the sackcloth, what they were saying is, we're in a time of mourning, and we're going to afflict ourselves. We're going to self-afflict afflict ourselves so that we are actually in a position of humility before God. Take off my clothes, put on my sackcloth, take my shoes off. Oh, woe is me. I'm mourning. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in this humble posture before the Lord in order that God would see my affliction and listen to my prayer. Still okay? Everybody with us? All right, good. Here's the third thing they did. The third thing was they bowed their head. They actually, literally, on the day of their fast, would keep their head down on the ground. They would do this because they were averting their eyes to the flesh around them, to the people around them. And they wanted to do that because they were specifically trying, and this is the key thing here, they were trying to sort of shut out the world. Why were they trying to shut out the world? They were trying to get rid of all of the distractions of life. Fasting was about not eating so God could sustain me. It was about putting on a sackcloth, taking off my shoes so that I could show myself afflicted before the Lord. And it was also then about this reality of kind of reaching out to God and saying, hey God, would you come and respond to me? Would you move in this way where I bow my head, I shut out the world, I can't be distracted by any of those nasty things out there in the world. If I can keep away from the world, I can stay focused on God and God could respond to my prayer. Are you with me still? 
Some of you right now are doing your 21-day fast. We're doing a 21-day fast here at The Vine. A lot of you are fasting social media. That's a way of bowing your head, trying to put aside the distractions of the world for a certain period of time so you can focus on God. Now, here's the absolute kicker to all of this. The whole reason why they did these three very specific things was so that they could achieve two purposes. The first was to gain God's attention. You should be making notes. It's okay if you're not, but I'm going to shame you. No, just kidding. So the first was to gain God's attention. They wanted to get God to turn his mind and his heart towards them. The second thing was to receive, keyword, God's justice. So they fasted to gain God's attention, to gain God's attention, to receive God's justice. In other words, they were like, hey, I'm going to sacrifice all this stuff so God, you would look upon me. You would see me so that you would understand my affliction. You would understand my humility before you. And in all of that, I would get your attention and your attention would be for my justice. To, to change the thing that I'm praying for, to come into my life and fix my situation, whatever it is that's on my heart, whatever's the reason why I'm fasting, I'm doing these things in order to gain your attention and to get your justice. Is that making sense to you so far? Okay, so when God says, I'm gonna do a new thing, Israel responds with the starting point of a fast and God shows up and says, you've got it all wrong. Actually, it's, it's actually not really about all this. There's actually a new way to fast. There's actually a new way to start. And in fact, if you want to posture your heart for what it is that I'm doing in the world, the kainos new, then there's a new position, a new posture. And God begins to open up in Isaiah chapter 58 what the new posture is. And let me tell you before we open it, it's not easy. But if we're hungry, if we really want to see God do something new in our city, if we really love Hong Kong and love the people of our city, then what we're about to unpack from Isaiah 58 really means something. And I want to challenge you up front to say, I'm, I'm going to commit to this, even if this is going to cost me something. Because guess what? Fasting is all about sacrifice. Are you ready? We're going to open scripture. Isaiah 58. Starting in verse 1. Here's how God starts. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Ugh. God starts by saying, you are in sin. Not the way I'm, God's like, I'm just about to speak to you for a whole chapter about fasting, all the things that you're doing right now, all the stuff that you do religiously, that you do piously, that you think you're doing. I'm going to start with that, but I'm starting from the perspective that you actually are in sin from the very beginning. In other words, your heart is not in the right place. You're fasting, but your heart is not in the right posture. You're not starting from the right place. And God's basically going to say, therefore you're blind. Like even if you're doing all of what you think are the right actions, you can do the right religious actions and still be blind. Because it's not actually about what you're physically doing. It's about where your heart is starting from. What's the posture of your heart and how is your heart at work? God is saying that's what's about to really make the difference. Notice, notice what he says in verse 2. He says, for day after day, they seek me out. He's speaking about Israel. They seek me out. 
They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to draw near. Now, all of that sounds pretty good. I mean, if you were to say to me, what kind of community at the vine do you want, Andrew? I would say, well, I would love us day to day to seek God out. I would love us to be eager to know God's ways. I would love us to seek for God's justice and his just decisions. And I would be awesome if we all wanted to draw near to God. I mean, those things are amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like that's a list of a great church community. And God says, you're doing all of this, but you're in sin. In fact, he says in the middle of the verse, he says, they do this as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. In other words, all the religious activity is a bit of a sham, even though it might be right activity, because it's done from the wrong posture, it's, it's actually resulting in something that God does not honor. And at the start of the year, that's sobering for all of us. I mean, I mean, that should ask us all some big questions. I know it asks me some big questions. And I'm a pastor of a church. And I'm thinking like, are the things that I go through on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, when I stand before all of you on a Sunday, I have to ask myself, is this coming from an authentic place of worship of God where my heart is in the right place or am I doing something as a show? Am I performing before you or am I preaching to you? I have to ask myself that constantly because I know the temptation of my flesh. I know how I can perform before you and get away with it. And so I have to constantly say to myself, is this just religious activity? Or is this life-giving? And I think you need to ask yourself that question. I think at the beginning of the year, what a great time to ask that question. Am I coming to church every Sunday because it's just habit? Am I coming because it's religious activity for me? Or is my heart really yearning day to day to seek God? Is my heart, heart really wanting his justice? Is my heart really wanting to go deeper with him? This day? Do, I, do I really want Jesus to be near me? That's a really dangerous prayer. If you really want Jesus to be near to you, be careful because life's going to get interesting. Whenever God comes nearer to me, he always challenges me to change something in my life. Sometimes I'm like, God, just stay where you are. <laughs> we start the year, we have to ask ourselves these tough, hard questions. God's asking Israel because he's got something he wants to encourage them with whilst challenging them. Notice what he does next in verse three. Why have we fasted, they say, this is Israel's voice, and, have, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? This is Israel's honest cry before God. They're like, God, you're distant. God, we're doing all of this stuff for you. Why are we doing all of this and you don't seem to answer our prayers? Why are we doing all of this, but you're not showing us your attention and we don't seem to have your justice? God, what's happening? Why are we going through all this activity and you don't seem to be responding? It's interesting, right? God knows why he's not responding because their heart isn't in the right place. And the reason why their heart's not in the right place is because they're starting from the perspective of, look what I do for you. Look how I'm earning your favor, God. I'm, I'm working my butt off 
so that you would answer my prayer and you're not answering it. That doesn't seem fair. You're not being just to me. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I know I felt like that many times. Why is God distant? Why is he not answering me? Doesn't he see how many times I preach my heart out? Doesn't he see what I do? Doesn't he experience what I experience? Does he not know what's happening at the vine? Come on, God, why are you not replying to my prayers? What God's trying to do here, using this rhetorical moment in this passage, is he's trying to highlight the attitude of Israel. Here's their attitude. We're a victim, God. We're victims here. We're, we're victims. Can't you, see, can't you see our pain and our struggle? We need you to respond to us, God. We, we're the ones who have been wronged, God. You have wronged us, God. We're in exile for 70 years, God. Why are we still here? You have not acted on our behalf. Their mindset, their mentality is victimhood. I'm a, I'm a victim here, and God, I'm doing all of this stuff so that you would change me from a victim to a victor. And I'm a victim. And God's looking down on Israel and he's saying, you haven't got it, have you? Because you think you're a victim, which means that you have no concept that it was actually your own sin that led you into exile. You're blaming me still for the very reason why you are where you are. You guys screwed up. There was idol worship. There was all this stuff happening in you and these things took place to, to, to respond to the reality of what was in your heart. And now, 70 years later, you're still going, oh, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the one who's been wronged. And God's like, hang on a second. You wanna know who the real victims are here? You wanna know who really has been wronged? You wanna know who's really suffering in this world? Let me show you. Yet on the day of your fasting, you just do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only for one day for a person to humble themselves, God says? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what I call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? God goes right to the heart of it here. And he says, here's the issue that I have with everything that you're doing here in your fast. You think you're a victim when actually you on the day of your fast have become victimizers. You're exploiting your workers you're treating people around you unfairly. You're getting into fights with everybody and you're supposed to be giving your heart to me. You're supposed to be fasting and preparing yourself for the new thing I'm about to do. You're not even treating your neighbor as I've called you to treat your neighbor. And God's like, don't you realize what's happening here? When you are stuck in a victim mentality, you're always going to be on or always thinking that you need to be on the receiving end of life rather than the giving end of life. See, this is what happens when you think yourself always as a victim. You always then need other people to do stuff for you. 
And Israel had got themselves so camped in this idea that they're victims of something, that they're now exploiting the people around them and asking God to come and give them justice. When God's like, you want to know who the people are that really need justice? It's not you. The people who really need justice here are the ones that you're exploiting, the ones that you're downtreading, the ones that you're not giving fair wages to, the ones that you're actually not giving the right rights to. Those are the people that my heart is turned for. You want to know what fasting looks like? Fasting looks like doing something for them. Because if you stay in your current concept of what you think it is to get my attention and to get my justice, if you think it's all about me, 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 when my heart is about everybody else out there in the world who desperately needs my attention and my love and my gospel and my freeing and my, my, my release out of oppression, man, that's where the fast really happens. It's very challenging because God says something here which I just blows my mind. He says in verse 4, uh, verse four, yeah, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Just pause on that for a second. God's saying you cannot ever get what you want to get and fast the way you are, exploiting your workers, treating people around you in your city, like they're secondary citizens. You cannot do that and expect me to respond to you. That's some big words. God's trying to shake Israel's perception of how they see themselves and see the world. If I was to rephrase this in a way that would help us think about our context in Hong Kong, I would say it like this. God would say, you cannot expect me or you cannot expect to to keep the current state of your life, to, to approach me in the way that you're currently approaching me and expect to see the new thing that I'm doing. You, you can't expect to see that new thing from the current posture of your heart. Your heart has to change in order for you to see the very new thing I'm about to do. And, and I wonder whether if we're really honest with ourselves, that we would kind of connect to this in a deep way. How am I actually living my life? What is my posture towards God? Is my primary relationship with God what he can do for me? Do, do, I, do I relate to God in such a way where I'm often the victim in our relationship? Are these some of the ways in which, as I step into 2023, that's the way I'm going to be communicating with God? That's the way I'm going to be seeing him from a posture of victimhood, from a posture of, of well, it's all about me, when God is looking over Hong Kong and saying, there's so much injustice happening here. There's so much of the poor and the vulnerable and the hurting and the mistreated that I'm on behalf of, and I have a sleeping church. Will the church open their eyes to see the very thing that God is actually doing here? It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about your needs. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to actually change you and help you, of course. In fact, we're going to see in a little moment that he does that. But the starting point of our heart, our approach and posture to him must be from a new perspective. What is that new perspective? Well, let me show you some of the ways that God breaks this down. Is this helpful for some people so far? 
All right, here we go. Look at verse six. Is this not then the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. God shows up and says, let me show you what the fast actually looks like. Let me show you what the posture of the heart actually does. And he takes all of the three things that Israel were currently doing, and he inverts every single one of them. He says, here's what the real fast looks like. Rather than you not eating and drinking, you're to feed those who can't eat and drink. Oh, that's a different kind of 21-day fast. Rather than you setting aside your own resources so that you yourself can feel hungry and in that think you're going to be closer to me, What about if you took the resources that you were thinking of setting aside and actually just used those resources to actually feed the people that are really hungry? What if you actually tried to serve the poor people around you? You see, see, the fast that God chooses is not us religiously trying to make ourselves more hungry and afflicted, but to actually make the poor less hungry and afflicted. That's the fast. That's the attitude. That's the starting point of the heart. God says, what are you doing about the the starving people in your neighborhood? What are you doing about the poor in Hong Kong? What are you doing about those that don't have enough to put food on their tables? What are you doing for the refugee families, for asylum seekers in the city? What are you doing for those who are domestic workers mistreated here? What are you doing for the many poor people in the city who actually can't afford or their parents are working crazy jobs 24 hours just to put some food on the table and you have an abundance of resource and you're just going to put that resource to one side so you feel hungry? God says, wake up. Use those resources so that the poor are no longer hungry. That's a fast. He then says, and when you see naked people, when you see the really naked people, like the ones that can't afford clothes and stuff, you should use your resources to actually clothe them. You should actually bless them. You should actually take what you've got, the abundance that you've been given, and use it to us. Don't take your clothes off and put some sackcloth on and try to symbolize some mourning. Come on, wake up. You're not mourning. They are in trouble. Get up, get your clothes, and clothe them, he says. And what about bowing our heads? Oh, yeah. What about turning away from the world? God says, no, do not ignore, he says here, your own flesh and blood. The human beings around you, the poor and the vulnerable and the naked and the hurting, those that are being mistreated by human rights, those that don't feel like they're equal in the eyes of everybody else in the city, those ones we should be turning our eyes towards, those ones we should be reaching out and loving, those ones we should be working hard to make their lives better. We shouldn't be turning away, we should be turning towards. The the fast that God chooses is not to turn your eyes away from the world, but to turn your full attention to the injustices being suffered by others in the world. Now that's really a fast, God says. That will really show that your heart is in the right place, that you're willing to do the work, the sacrifice. Remember, Fasting is about sacrifice. The sacrifice of truly serving those that need it the most. Oh, man. 
And it gets even better. Are you ready for even better? Because that's already hard enough work. Gets even better than that. God, in setting up this new fast, he creates basically three buckets in which he wants his people to respond. The first is to bring freedom. Bring freedom. God's people should be setting people free, not burdening them. And and he uses all these languages, untie the yoke, loosen the chains, break the bonds. He's saying, look, there are people oppressed in this world. There are people held back. There are people with chains of slavery around them, whether that's physical, whether that's metaphorical, emotional, mental, whatever it might be. There are people that are struggling in this world under oppression. And the church should rise up and say, we're on behalf of freedom. We're going to break some chains, loose some cords. We're going to set some people free in the name of Jesus, because that's what we've been called to do. And he doesn't say this. Note this, very important. He doesn't say, just cease oppressing people. That would be important. But he doesn't say, just stop an activity. The words he uses here are proactive words. Untie the cords. Break the chains. In other words, it's not just good enough to say, I'm no longer going to oppress people. I now need to be a part of the solution. I need now to rise up and say, what is it that I can do to actually make just distribution of resources better in my city? How do I actually stand against systemic injustices that we see in various areas of our city? What can I proactively do to not just stop oppression myself, but actually be an active engagement member? If I'm going to be righteous and justice-minded in Hong Kong, then I need to be proactive actively working on behalf of setting people free. And that involves sharing the gospel. That involves bringing the good news of Jesus to people. It involves preaching and teaching and showing people a new way of life so that they can receive salvation in Jesus. And it also involves standing against people who are trafficking people into our city. It also involves speaking about the systemic issues of gender inequality in our systems and structures in our city. It also involves us being proactive in thinking about what are the ways in which God's kingdom can be seen in the fullness that it wants to be seen here in Hong Kong. That, my friends, is fasting. Are you with me so far? Then, number two, we meet the needs. Because when you free somebody, you've got to meet their needs. Because when somebody is freed, they're often at a point where they have nothing. I've been in slavery. I've been in bondage. I've been set free. Now we need to meet their needs. And we've already looked at these things. Things like feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, providing shelter for the homeless. These are the things that we do to help people meet their needs. Now, the only reason we can bring freedom and help people with their needs is by the third important thing. Shifting our attitudes. Oh, man. When God says, do not forsake the young, the, actual, uh, the, the, um, the flesh amongst you, the, the people of your own flesh and blood. When he says, do not forsake them, that word actually in the Hebrew means more like do not hide from them. It, it actually brings echoes of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, where Adam and Eve hide from God because of their shame. And, it, and it's actually challenging Christians that so often we hide from people And rather than help them, we judge. In fact, God laid us on. We haven't got time to look at it, but God laid us on in the same chapter. says, stop wagging your finger at people. Stop judging people, Christians. Your role is not to judge people. That's actually Jesus' role. He's the judge of the world. God's saying, "No, no wagging of your finger. Your heart, your posture is to shift an attitude inside of you and say, what is it that they're feeling? What is it that they're going through? 
What is it that, that is broken in them? What compassion, Lord? Give me more compassion. Give me more grace. Give me more mercy. Help me to see them as you see them. Because I'm not to shut my eyes from them. I'm to actually actively engage my life towards them with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm called to do. Help me, Lord. Do that. Now, here's a quick thing. Look at this one more time on the screen. This is not a job description that God is calling you to do so you can earn favor so that God can give you his attention and give you justice. And I, I, in our culture and society, we look at a list like that. We take a photo of it and we're like, I'm going to do this. It's a job description. Pastor Andrew asked me to do it. I will do it. Be more just. This is not a job description. Let me tell you what this is. This is like a doctor's prescription. In other words, this is God's suggestion of how Israel could heal themselves. I, uh, I had a, a, an age spot on my face. I'm at an age now where I get age spots, okay? And I got an age spot on my face the other day, uh, well, the other week, months ago, actually, and it went funny. It went a weird color, and I went to a dermatologist, and he looked at it. He's like, ooh, we need to get rid of that. So I went back in for surgery. We had it tested. It wasn't cancerous, praise God, but we had to go through all of that. Uh, then he gave me medicine, and he said, here's your medicine. If you take this, if you apply the cream, then you will be healed. And God shifts the focus here having just said, here's what I need you to do. He then gives them an if and then. He just said, if you feed the hungry, if you do this, if you clothe this, then, in verses eight and nine, he says this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your, your rear guard. Then you will cool, notice this, then you will cool and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. In other words, the very things that you wanted out of the original fast, I'm going to come through for you, and I'm going to do. But it's going to come to you not by doing something like this, because you're putting yourself in a victim mentality space. It's going to come as you serve and give yourself wholeheartedly to those around you. As you love your neighbor, as you love yourself, as you do all of that, then I will heal you. Remember, God starts this back in verse 1 to say, you're in sin. And, and, the, and the healing is needed. We all need some healing in the posture of our heart towards God as we start this new year. And God's saying, here's the if and then. Like a doctor, if you take this cream, Andrew, you will be healed. If you fast this way, then your healing will quickly appear. And God is saying all of this to make a really important final point. Can you handle a final point? He's saying all of this I am doing a new thing. It's already at work. Can you not perceive it? Here's how you start in your heart and your posture. Not by focusing in on yourself and thinking that you're the one that needs fixing. Here's how you discover the new thing I am doing. Go to the very people that you've been avoiding. Go to the broken, the poor, the vulnerable, the hurting, the very people that you've been exploiting, go to them and do the opposite of what you were doing. Clothe them, feed them, love them, don't judge them, give them compassion and grace, celebrate them, 
share the gospel with them, do that. Because the new thing I'm doing is going to be discovered in the very people that you've been avoiding. Big words from God to Israel. Big words from God to the vine at the start of 2023. That maybe we'll be able to see something that we've never seen of God ever before when we look into the eyes of the poor, the eyes of the mistreated, the vulnerable amongst us. And we say, I don't have all the solutions. I don't have all the answers. I didn't even know maybe how to respond. But I know that through you, Lord, I can just do one simple thing, to take your justice, not for me, but for them. And in bringing them justice, I might come to know God like I've never known him before. God finishes all of this with one final statement in verse 12. It says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. God says, here's what will happen when you do this. When you shift your heart, when you start from a new posture, when you don't make it about you as the victim, when you think about everybody else around you, when you give your life to serve the vulnerable and the poor and the hurting and those that are really under injustice, here's what I will end up calling you. You will be called restorers, repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. I love this. He speaks about the city. He's like, if you do this in people, I will restore your city. I will make it a better place. It'll be a greater, better place. It'll be felt more with my kingdom than ever before. Your role, he's saying to Israel, is to be people that I call restorer of broken walls, repairers of streets for dwellings. And every single time you and I focus our hearts on wanting to see the gospel come into our city more, of wanting to see justice, God's heart for justice in our city more. Essentially what we're doing is we're repairing the broken walls of people. The ruins that are in people, that are even in you and I, we're working with the Holy Spirit to see those things repaired. We're ensuring that the streets of our city are better places to live in when we're giving of our life to those who need it the most. God is the architect in the restoring of a city. He is the architect and the one who makes things new. Our role is to be his construction workers, the ones that roll up our sleeve and get to the job. We need to take off, take off the hat that we wear when we're victims and put on a hard hat of God's gospel and justice in our city. And there and only there will we see the new thing that he's doing. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for all the people here in this room, for the men and women that are online right now, for those that are listening in this moment. Father, we're grateful for your spirit, grateful for your work of your presence in our lives. And Father, we come Lord, just wanting to be reframed by your spirit today. Coming so that we can approach the start of 2023 with the right heart, the right mindset. Lord, we do need a new fast. It's not just Israel that 
was getting things wrong. Lord, we recognize in our own approach to you at times, we do things with the wrong heart, the wrong starting point. And again, it's not that you don't care, Lord, for our needs, you do. It's not that you don't look down on us and wanting to help us and restore us. You do, of course. But so often it's easy for us to have that that thought and that mind that our relationship with you is primarily about what you'll do for us. Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, we're grateful that your heart is turned towards us, that you will do mighty things for us. But Lord, our starting point is not primarily what you can do for us. Our starting point is the mission that you've given us to be your hands and feet in the world around us. Lord, we pray that you would indeed send us. I purposely did not tell you in this message what you should do. I didn't give you three tips on social justice in Hong Kong in 2023 because this message is about your own heart and it's about your own response and it's about you considering what it is that God is calling you to do. It will look different for every single person in this room. But there are people in your life right now, people in your sphere of influence that are in need, whether that's emotional, social, financial. There are people that you know who are broken inside, who need their own walls restored. We all have people in our lives like that. And so the prayer today is for you to come before the Lord and say, God, show me the next simple thing I can do to be somebody more of justice in my city so that I can fast in this way, so that I can sacrifice in this way, not for what you will do for me, God, but for what you will do for them. And in that heart and that attitude, you will see God like you've never seen him before. The new thing that he's doing right here and now will become a revelation to you as you seek and serve the lost. Lord, I pray that that would be our passion as a church. I pray that you would use your spirit upon us and through us and that it would be for your glory. In Jesus' name. I wonder whether you stand. We're just going to finish our time together with one final song of just worship as we come into his presence again together.
Father, I want to pray a seal over all of the words that have been shared today, the message that we have received, the prayers that we have prayed. I pray, Father God, a protection around us as the vine, a congregation. May we truly see as you call us to see. May our perspective be changed according to how you are calling us to see things so that we can discover what it is, the new that you are doing. Step out and make a difference in this city by your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for our host. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today, those in the uh, upper house and those on just outside the auditorium as well. Hello. And those watching online, thank you for joining us. Don't forget, you have a prayer card for your prayer request. You can spend some time now in the service or bring it back next week. But do remember to take a prayer request as well as we carry each other's burdens. And also our prayer line is here at the front and also in the upper house. Thank you, everyone. God bless. Take care. See you next week. Goodbye.